also see by. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that we hadn't even thought about how to pronounce the other thing. Ruta Septis. Septis. How do you pronounce the page? Um. <laughs> I just know that we're getting farther and farther afield the more we try to Like I thought your first attempt was better than the second. I think we left it a syllable. Whatever, the thing is it's spelled S E E E T more gas. I don't even have to pretend I know. So. Yep. Yep. I'm not gonna try Ruta if I found the first time. But I don't know how else you would do it. I think that's correct. Um, I think we're we're one for two. Well so we'll probably be quite her Ruta. We talked to her, which we probably will. Um, yeah, so this is a historical fiction book about um, the largest disaster in maritime history. Yeah. So we knew it was going to be uplifting. <laughs> I want to go on the record and say that it was Michelle's place. <laughs> I hadn't even opened the book and I was like texting Michelle, I would say. Well, well, I actually didn't text you before I opened it, but I think, you know, by page seven, I had texted Michelle, thanks for picking the worst book possible. Well, it's been getting, so, <laughs> this is one of our compromise books. This is what I got in exchange for Blackmore. When we say compromise, we mean bargaining. This is one of the bargaining books. Um, and I picked this book because I knew Paige wouldn't ever pick it. Paige well, read things that are sad, maybe this is a little sad. But I also I've heard know. a lot of I'm a little sad. <laughs> it's gotten a lot of praise. Yeah. From people. So <laughs> I was like, maybe it'll be good. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't really know what we I thought was gonna happen. But yeah. So we read this book. <laughs> it was sad. It was depressing. Shockingly. Yeah. The cover um, is just it's like storm clouds, ocean. And then, oh, there's actually more than one. I think there's yeah. one. Multiple just life preservers and floating. Yeah, no people on the water. So if that is yeah. not in the Baltic Sea, yes, because that comes with Texas. Right. Which is cold as heck. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't want to be in the water. Yeah, life preserver? I'm not going to help you that much. Um, not when you freeze it out. Yeah, that's why you might as well drown. Except I've heard hypothermia is like, a pretty good way to go. Well, it's really, really rough until the end when you're so cold that it starts to feel warm again, and that just really means that you're really getting to and the end stage. Tired. You're supposed to um, drowning seems pretty horrible. This all seems pretty horrible. Yeah, I I, don't, yeah, I can't think of a lot of ways that so I'm like, oh yeah, I'd be happy to die that way. Um, in sleep. my sleep, yeah. 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 In my sleep, I do wonder about gunshot to the head. Do you even, like, is that instantaneous? Yeah. If it's not instantaneous, I'm fine with it. I guess it depends on where they hit you in that. Because you could get a good shot. Okay, it better be a clean shot. Don't screw it out. My God, they're going to shoot me in the head. Because isn't there, I don't know, I had a book about this guy, and I was a child, about a guy who got, like, a railroad tie after his head, and that changed his personality, but he, like, lived a full life. So I think it depends on what part of your brain that hits. Because some of your brains are just extraneous. Okay. Uh, I mean, they're sort of helpful, but they don't have to live. I think you have to hit like the part that touches you breathe, and like maybe like the top of your spinal cord. I'm sure that. you hit the same as you are. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that'd probably be pretty good. I think for the most part, a shot from that will kill you. Yeah. So you know, I think it's pretty instantaneous. Like, Robespierre. 
try to shoot himself, like through the roof of his mouth. Remember? No. <laughs> well, ostensibly, we studied the revolution in school, and we learned that we're here to try to shoot himself. When things were starting to go real bad, yeah. and people were like, you know, the terror is not a great thing. Um, he tried to shoot himself through the roof of his mouth, but like, he like really missed. He like shot himself through the jaw. And so then they came, they heard the shot, and like, came for him and locked him up, and they, you know, like, and they executed him. Yeah. I just remember when we we did the French Revolution that we watched this video. Oh my god. And it had the like transition line they had to put in was the sound of a guillotine cutting off someone's head. And I had nightmares because of that. I can't remember that, but I do remember that like every, you know, five shots was blood running in the cobblestones. And the sound of the guillotine. I didn't know the guillotine sound. I was more I did the visual. I also remember there's the um Tom Robbins is a novelist. Mm-hmm. Or is it Tom? I don't know what you're saying. I'm really I don't know. I think this is novelist, Tom Robbins. I <laughs> think his name. Um, and he wrote the novel, um, I think he's one one, but um, Still Life with Woodpecker, I think it's what uh-huh. it's called. Yeah. It was one of our high school English teachers' like, favorite books. So I read it. Um, and then he like compares, you know, like the red, like, like sort of like bumps on your skin, like after sunburn or whatever. Um, to looking like um, all of a sudden like French Revolution, like blood running <laughs> I thought it was a great image. <laughs> anyway, um, let's we'll see that. Okay. Okay. Maybe we don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we're putting off a little. Or maybe like to talk to you. But anyway, eventually we will. So this book is narrated from multiple perspectives. Every chapter it switches. Um, oh, they're pretty short chapters. Yeah, most of them are probably about three to five pages. Yeah, sometimes less. Sometimes less. Um, it's not nice, almost one to say, but not now. Anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that either, but some people might say that. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone say yeah, that either. Yeah, we never say it. We never heard anyone say it. Can't really think of a reason why they would, but, you know. Um, it could be. So, we're going to introduce you to the narrative. Narrators, <laughs> narrators, excuse me. Um, so we like to read four. So we have Juliana. Juliana. I think it's Juliana because there's one in, but so my view is Juliana. But also sounds a little bit more like history. I think so. Um, and she. That's something that we found this college. Yeah. <laughs> my mom had a Russian minor in college, so I know. Yeah. Eastern Europe. I wrote class down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so she's a nurse, and she, all of the characters are fleeing because they're in Germany, and so they're fleeing. Yeah, this is the end of, like, the end of World War II. Yeah, with months from the end. Yeah, which they, as characters, they do not know that, um, but it's obvious. (laughs) None of them are psychic. (laughs) And then they see the future, and also, I mean, when I went, it's not... But they don't know the future, but <laughs> that from their perspective, as far as they know, like from the German perspective, of like the German people who are just the white boy and not running their yeah. like, strategy, I think people see that, or what we're getting from the book is that people kind of see that, like, you know, shit really starts to suck, like, this is really bad. Right. Um, the Russians are like really closing in on right. the German. People. But they're all being told that, like, we are still pressing ahead for victory. Like, I mean, the propaganda machine is right. still running full force because you don't want the entire, like, citizenry to totally panic. They're anyway, because, like, well, yeah. um, 
I mean, stuff's not really far down. There's just like Russian soldiers everywhere, and like people getting shot and things exploding, like all the time. Yeah, so things are going really badly, but you know, the German leadership is still like we're doing great for the Slavic land, right? Um, so yeah, so you have the Reich essentially falling apart. Mm-hmm. You have Russia moving in from the east, it's crushing everything in its path. Right, just burning down Germany. And I mean, you know, everybody else is, you know, the Allies are just also bombing Germany to pieces. Right. Whenever, so. Yeah, everywhere. Um, so these, we find out that the overarching plot is that these people are headed for the port so that they can get evacuated um, on one of these big ships. Um, but the book is the inside cover. It tells you that this is like inspired by the greatest tragedy in maritime history. So you're like, woohoo, guys, you're going to make it to the ships, and then things are not going to get better. Yeah, that's so. kind of like the whole thing as a reader, because they've like, because they've already survived so much, even before the book starts, mm-hmm. and then they survive more as you read along, and they like have this hope to like, we're going to, like, if, if we can, as long as we can get on the ship, we can be evacuated, right, and something fine. has to be better at the end of this. But as readers, you know that the ship's going down. But right, there's no hope, really. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. They're just like, great. Um, so it's narrated by these four female teen narrators. That's probably why it's a young adult book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like we were saying, Joanna is a nurse. Um, she is Lithuanian. Pretty sure. Pretty sure she's Lithuanian. I don't know if I'm going to check, but we are sure enough to say it. Yeah. Um, and so, She's a nurse, and she's with a larger group that's already added to the ports, and we, like, meet these characters, and we're mm-hmm. introduced to them. There's an old shoemaker, a, a little boy, who, like, can't say anything appropriate at any She's point. very tall, I think. Yeah, she's really tall. Um, a boy who lives with his grandmother until his grandmother didn't wake up, and so he falls in with their group, and there's a blind girl. Yep. Um, blind girl's gonna die before we even make the ship. Yeah, she does. She falls in the nice. Falls in the Um, and she's working out. But yeah, so we have this, that cast of characters, and we stay with those characters for the majority of the book, because what happens is, so that's Joanna, and then we meet um, Florian and Emilio, and we meet them kind of simultaneously. Um, Florian is uh, a defected German, he wasn't really a soldier, he was working um, in the museum world, and art yeah. is an art restorer. Right, he was working for the Reich, mm-hmm. not as a soldier. Right. He was part of the, well, what he thought, because he had been, I guess, an art student or whatever, something. Um, and, but he's really good at forging. Um, and so that's sort of what his restoration entails, is sort of like forging the pieces that are missing. Forging, yeah. Damaging part, the damaged part of the right. work, I think, is really took away from that. So he's working under this doctor and whatever. Right. Uh, we're not really good at remembering some of these things. Yeah, he's uh, working under and the um, and he has a lot of work right now because um, the Nazis are stealing all the art they come across and bringing it to him. And at first, he's told that they're saving all this artwork from kind of the, the Russians who are destroying everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, as he like comes to find out that they're really just stealing it, like they're just taking it from people, mm-hmm. he's not super excited about that. He starts to get a little wary. Of things, he kind of has a very tenuous relationship with Germany and the Reich at large. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on. Part is that he realizes that he's been lied to, that they're not just like preserving it; they're actively stealing it, and he's now complicit in it. And he didn't know that before. 
Um, also, we did get a sense like his father was not happy because he became, he looked up to this doctor or whatever, the art person as his mentor, and his father was like, you should be really suspicious of it. I think that's also what turns him away. Mm-hmm. His father gets killed. Yeah. These people. I don't remember the whole, we, I read this a while ago, and there was lots of stuff. And his father gets killed, and his mother and his sister are in France, I think? Oh, I don't know if they made it out of. They're not with him. Though. They're not with him. I think he's kind of weird. Yeah, he's, that's why he's headed this way. Is he's not as much fleeing the Russians as he is trying he's to slay the Germans. Germans at this point. Well, he's slaying the Germans also because he's um, defected from his place. And also, when he left, he decided to steal um, this like jewel that is supposed to be Hitler's like favorite thing ever. And it's this like, amber swan. Yeah, which is I guess part of the amber room. Mm-hmm. Which they cart, which is this like this huge. It was in a Russian palace, and they somehow carted it off. Which I guess is these huge panels of amber on the walls. There's all sorts of stuff, which obviously would be huge and like immensely valuable. And they buried it somewhere. And Florian is someone with the map. He knows where it's at. Yeah. Um. Because I guess when I don't know, he's the only one who remembers. Everybody else is just like, yeah, someone else is gonna. <laughs> right. He also has, like kind of put all their eggs in one basket there. Yeah. So Florian has fleed, but he's also made himself fake papers that say that he's, like, on this special mission from Hitler himself to, like, deliver something important. Um, but it's kind of stressful because they are forgeries, so if he gets caught, it's a problem. Yeah, so when he's worried that someone higher up is going to know, like, the person who's above the doctor, who is this high-ranking official, and the Reich is going to, they're going to figure out, I mean, A, he's gone. Oh, suspicious. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that they might find out something's missing, which they're not really checking on the crates. Like, they hid them, and now they can't even find them again. So, um, I guess they bring... He's the key to them, too. Bought out of the castle. Yeah, he's the key. He's got everything. Um, so they might <laughs> not actually stole anything, but he's really worried that someone's going to, like, catch you know, put everyone on alert that this person should be stopped. So in that case, it's fake papers that are extended to the way at that point, so, whether they know they're fake or not. So that's um, really stressful. But he's a little bit stressed out about that whole book. Yeah. And he's also, I think, one of the things about, because he sort of has, like, maybe a little bit of complicated motivations. Um, he's not exactly, like, um, well, we're not really sure totally how against the Nazi regime he is. Mm-hmm. There, like, there is something about, like, the atrocities he's seen and what they've committed, and he's against it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they killed his father. Also, he's find out he's been betrayed by his mentor. And there, he also does... He doesn't talk about the novel. Talks about how he is um, Prussian, um, which is this interesting human perspective of German um, history overall. Like Hitler's trying to unify the whole like Aryan people. Basically, he's going to take over all these countries that are outside of Germany. Anyway, as well, like Poland, not for the Polish people, but just for the space. He was like Poles very much. Um, yeah, and but German. Germany was, modern Germany was unified very recently, mm-hmm. in the mid-1800s, and there's still so many different people, different regions within Germany with distinct identities. Right. Um, so there's like a gesture at that novel to nationality. Yeah. And, right. Because um, all of our narrators have different nationality, but it becomes fairly unimportant. So our next character is narrator is Amelia, and um, like I said, we were introduced to Amelia and Florian at the same time as Florian saves Amelia from being killed by a Soviet soldier. Um, 
She is actually Polish, mm-hmm. which, but she looks pretty blonde. Yeah. So they're able to pass her off as Latvian mm-hmm. later in the, the novel, but she's Polish. And so for a while, they're like, do we bring her on? Because it's problematic that she's, she's Polish. She's a big liability. Right. She only speaks Polish. Well, no, I think she actually speaks a little bit of German. She speaks a little bit of German, but it's with a pretty heavy... Yeah, accent. <laughs> she also doesn't speak any Latvian, and they're trying to pass on with Latvian. So, um, and we come to find out pretty quickly in the book that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like, um, very heavily pregnant. Yeah, like, she gets broke in the book, so. They, there was, <laughs> which, for a while, they hold back, they don't tell you what's going on with her, other than something really awful has happened, and you're just like, oh my god. And they also refer to the town that she came from as being this town that is notorious for the atrocities that were committed by the Soviet soldiers who moved in. Um, particularly with women and children, um, which is really, like, slightly off this immediate topic, but, like, all these, like, really horrible things happen in the aggregate in the novel, but there's also, it's, like, the very, like, small details that I felt like are, like, the, like, the most chilling, or just, like, the, like, the really small things, um, which maybe not necessarily how it should be, I don't know, there's a death spawn in the right, and, like, one death is a tragedy, right. Like a million or whatever, just because they're yeah, as true. And the novel does show that because yeah. you don't even grasp how many people. Right, because it becomes very easy to become desensitized to that. You're, you can't fathom yeah. it, so your brain just kind of shuts off, and that happens all the time. Right. So these, we at one point we come across this house that they stay in overnight, and upstairs the family is just like dead asleep in their beds, and like their dinner is untouched, and it's like this very eerie scene of just like. They didn't all die in their sleep. They're dead in their beds. Like, they went to sleep, and then, like, the grandfather yeah. of the patriarch of the family shot them all. Shot them all. Yeah, because Russian soldiers were approaching. They saw them. They were sitting at dinner because dinner is still on the table, and he told them all to go in their beds. So they all climb in their beds, and then the patriarch of the family kills them all. Because you'd rather have them dead. Yeah. Right? You'd rather have them dead than kind of be forced to deal with whatever atrocities the Russian soldiers would yeah. put upon them. So, yeah, I think for sure the smaller details are more. Yeah, I just remember really describing like women now for bond doors. Yeah. Holy shit. So, anyway, um, um, we come to find out that Amelia was gang raped by a group of Russian soldiers. And given up, so she was, her family sent her away to stay with someone who lived more out in the country, I think, was uh-huh. the idea. Someone was supposed to be safer. Right, and so the Russian soldiers come, and they want the family that she's staying with's daughter, and the family says, no, why don't you take Amelia? <laughs> she's prettier anyway. So they, like, give her up. Um, and then she's, like, brutally raped by the soldiers, and she's pregnant now. Yeah. For a while, we don't know that she's pregnant. There's just this description of, like, she won't tell anyone what's going on. She won't. Um, like, they have to discover at the point where she, like, they like, can't move or something because she has so much pain. But they were like walking in the snow and they mentioned how like, there's this like blood dripping as she's walking. And I'm just like, oh my god, what's going on? By the time we figured out that she was pregnant, I was like, oh, okay. I just yeah. thought she was, had like gaping wounds or something. Right. Um, a little bit of she also gets injured, just sort of, I think, at that scene with the Soviet. Yeah. I don't remember. Flooring gets pretty injured and he has like a big gash in his side. But- uh, um, that Joanna teaches up. Yeah. So those guys all end up meeting there with that like band of, of characters mm-hmm. that we talked at the beginning, the shoemaker and the yeah. child. The refugees are all moving towards the port, they're all yeah. trying to evacuate. That's the plan. It's mm-hmm. the place that everyone needs to evacuate. Right. Um, 
Um, they're trying to get there quickly because they're also, there's like, you know, like tens of thousands of people trying to evacuate. Yeah. Um, and there's only so much room on these boats. And the countryside is also being bombed to pieces. Right, it doesn't matter where you are. Like, everyone's fleeing now. Um, so they're trying to get there as quickly as possible so they can, there's space still on these boats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So those three are kind of together and their stories are, I mean, they split apart for minor sec- sections, but they're pretty much together trying to go to the port. Mm-hmm. And then we have our fourth narrator, whose name is Alfred. Um, and he is the worst. He is crazy. He is... Like, sort of finally, Yeah. So, Definitely. he... We're kind of initially introduced to him by these letters he's writing to, like, his love, he left behind. He's a German soldier. Um, and so he's writing letters to his love, which um, even initially are, like, a little bit creepy. At first, you're just like, okay. You think he's just sort of, like, a typical, like, what you think of as a Nazi, I think? It's, like, like a horrible person. And then the more it goes on, the more you're like, actually, he's not even just, like, like... He's not sane and horrible. He's like a sociopath. Right, because he he's like all about the the right. He's like totally for it. He has no qualms about anything. <laughs> At one point, he like kicks a dog, and like the other soldiers are like, "Why did you just kick that dog? We don't just yeah. kick, kick dogs." We're just kick everything. He's like, yeah. "That dog was kind of like not as good as the other dogs, and like we should kill people that are disabled and dogs too." Mm-hmm. And the soldier, even like the soldiers who are complicit, you know, in many of these like horrible atrocities. And maybe these soldiers aren't, like, it's hard to know on a grand scale. These yeah. people are kind of in charge of evacuating refugees. Maybe they have nothing to do with kind of fighting on fronts. Impossible to tell. But, like, the other people that are around him are like, what the hell? <laughs> also, he's very low level, probably because he's yeah. a crazy person. Probably. And that's how we start to realize that, like, he's, like, delusional. Is that he really is has, like, he's extremely low level. He's not a soldier. He's not in charge of doing anything. Everyone around him, actually, I don't even know... Is his name even Alfred? Everyone calls him Fritz. What is that? I mean, it's a whatever. Who knows? That could be a nickname for Alfred in German, for all I know. Um, which is nothing um, about this subject. So, but yeah, he's like in charge of. He's he wants to become a documentarian. Yeah, like, that's his like goal, his like lofty aim. So he's not even in charge of actually keeping details. No, he's like like maybe a clerk. Can you maybe count how many band-aids we have in right. the background? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the extent of his responsibility. We already counted them, but we need someone to double check. Like <laughs> Yeah. And what we start to realize is like there's the letters where he's really talking himself about how like important he is, right. how he's gonna like have this point in career, how he sends so much for the third like blah blah blah. And then there's the interactions of like right. the other soldiers, how they treat him, and you start to realize, yeah, this guy right. is And initially I just thought I was like, oh, you know, like, obviously he wants to, like, talk himself up to yeah, his girlfriend about him. Right, right. Um, as we come to find out, that's not his girlfriend. That girl probably, like, despises him. Yeah, I think this is, like, in a modern-day scenario, this is would be, like, so, like, he starts out as just, like, the creepy guy in the street, you know? And then mm-hmm. gradually you're, like, might be stopped. Yeah, and then you get a restraining order. That's the situation that I see. Now. Yeah, so we come to find out that Hannah Laura, this girl that he's writing to, um, actually, we don't know so we're just assuming. Yeah. So he turns her family into the Germans for being Jewish. And he's like, tell them, Hannah Moore, you're not Jewish enough. Like, you're pretty blonde. And she's like, no, I'm Jewish. Like, I'm going to go with my family. Yeah, I'm going to let my parents be part of the way. Also, like, I don't even think people, they, she was like, guys, I'm not Jewish. Just my parents are Jewish. I don't know if that like, really would have flown with the yeah. Germans anyway. I don't know. But anyway, so he's the one that turns into her family, her turns in her family to the Germans. So, um, yeah, I don't think they'd be on speaking terms. 
Yeah, but he still thinks that they are, and he's writing these letters to her as like his his dearly beloved. Right. So he's crazy. I'm a little bit like I to- I didn't totally understand at the point of having him as a narrator. Uh, I guess he sort of acts as a foil to like Florian. Uh-huh. But I didn't know if we needed him to be a narrator to be a foil. I mean, I think we get we get a different perspective because he's not on the road with them. He's on a refugee. We right. get the preparations at court um, before they even arrive there. So we know, like, I think we know from his perspective way before we get there, like, hey, this ship has nowhere near enough lifeboats. Yeah. That's something that none of the other characters know. So the ship has a capacity of, like, 5,000 people. And they stick I think like, it might be even less. I think it's, like, real low, like, two, three. Two, three thousand, and they wind up sticking like twelve thousand people. Yeah, like three to four times how much they're supposed to be there, and the amount of lifeboat lifeboats that the boat would, should have for the like two to three thousand people, it only has half of half the lifeboats are missing. So like we are like already like shoot. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like you know we've all heard stories, namely Titanic. I think we all know. But, like, just, like, having not enough lifeboats is never an automatic, like, now you're just tempting fate. You're just asking to be dead at sea. Yeah. So... Never going to get out back. <laughs> so the basic plot is they're moving there. They stop a few places. We see horrible things happen. We kind of uncover more about these people's past. Um, and then they get there. <laughs> they're able to get on the boats because Joanna is a nurse and they need nurses. Really bad because they're also transporting German soldiers that have been injured. Um, so they need nurses, so she is able to kind of convince them that she'll go if she can bring her patients, so the people she's traveling with, and, um, Florian's able to get on because he has the forged documents, and they're able to, they steal a dead woman's documents that kind of looks sort of like Amelia, and they're able to... Tell her not to wear out, basically. Um, and they're able to get her on the boat as well. Yeah. It helps that Amelia is pregnant, because they're also thinking about pregnant women. Because they're like, I mean, so many people have died already. These people, the women and their yeah. children, are supposed to be the future of the right, supposedly. Right. I mean, there's very little future um, left at this point. But. So we get on there. Um, Florian wants to hide, winds up just hiding on the boat. Right, because he realizes that like he's attracted more attention from more high ranking officials at the port. And it does transpire that people start to come looking for him because they're like, Right, yeah, we get put in a call for so and so, and like, no, we want to talk to this person. Right, because he is, he doesn't look that injured. They wind up taking him there to pretend he's dead in one year. The thing is, he can't be too injured to the point where he's not saveable, right. and then that's when they'll leave him. But he needs to be injured enough where it's convincing that he can't be fighting. Um, so, yeah, there's a tenuous line that he's following there because he's right in the age where they're pulling the soldiers from. And he looks very much like an able bodied. Young man, so why yeah. isn't he hiding? He has his documents. We have more fodder than we have. Right. So. Um, and so they're making calls, and they start to become suspicious of like his, his, both of his injuries and of his papers, and so he winds up hiding. I think they also end up with a message because they call the person who's not just the doctor who's in charge of them, but the Nazi official who's even in charge of that. They like get back to him, and they're and the people back at the art place wherever that is. They're like, uh, yeah, we need to know where, like, they don't, for whatever reason, they don't have the map to get to where, like, the Amber Room or the really mm-hmm. nice stuff is. Um, they can't find it. And they want to get in touch with, what's his name? Because they don't know where it's at. Um, obviously, Florian is going to avoid the whole thing. <laughs> As he would. He's hiding in, like, a chimney. Right. 
Um, so he's hiding. Um, Joanna and Amelia are together because Amelia's in the like ward for the sick because she's pregnant. She winds up giving birth like night one in the boat, which like her labor lasts like approximately forty five seconds. Like the fastest labor ever. So yeah. They're all together, then the boat starts to go. I don't know, there's not much else left inside the boat. Yeah, I mean, it's really quick. They like, they, like leave the harbor and, like, right. almost immediately get to a place. I think it's like that's how it's seen. Yeah, it's like the next night. I think that night, because it's when everyone's at that night. It is. When everyone's sleeping and there's there's a group of women that are at the bottom of a swimming pool on the bottom floor. Oh my god, that was hilarious. They're, they put this group of like several hundred, like 300 something, like women auxiliaries, nurses. Mm-hmm. They're not nurses, obviously, because they're not the sick, but um, there's these women's auxiliaries. They do something they're attached in some way to, they don't support yeah. obviously. And they're like, yeah, we'll put them in the train stand for the bottom. And just immediately, like, oh my god, they're so screwed. Yeah. Like the bottom of the ship, and like somehow the drain swimming pool makes it even worse. Now you're in the bottom of the ship, and you're like lower than lower than the swimming pool. Like, yeah. Um, I will never take that place on a ship ever. So the blind girl that with them, we already said she fell through the ice on her way there um, and died. The tall woman gets on a different boat, mm-hmm. um, so she's not with them. Because so she's mostly worried about being able to take her for the show with her. She's just trying to At this point, at the, at the time when you've seen so many people die, you're like just hoping at this point to just be evacuated. Like, I'm pretty, like, I'm, I'm very attached to my things. Right. You know, like, like, very attached. Yeah. Stuffed animals, like. Yeah. I think it's, it's like a coping mechanism. One time, I guess, we were driving um, across Nevada, which. If you've ever driven across Nevada, it's like a really exciting drive. <laughs> um, but it started like downpouring. Like it's, I've never seen it rain that hard. And so people were hydroplaning, a bunch of people were hydroplaning off the road. And we had pulled over. And we were just like going to wait for it to stop raining because that's what you should do. Right. Rain that hard. Um, but a person, they hydroplaned and they their car flipped off the road like right in front of us and like rolled several times. And um, there's a truck with a camper shell in the back, and their children were in the back on a mattress in the camper shell, and the camper shell obviously flew off when the car flipped, and so the children were, like, thrown. I mean, they're, like, tiny kids, but they're, like, probably 10, 12. They got thrown from the back of the truck, and so my parents went out. We stayed, me and my sisters were in the car. I called 911. My important <laughs> job. I was on the phone with dispatchers, and they kept transferring me because they were trying to figure out who was the closest Right. Dispatch is very confusing. Yeah, when you have in the middle of nowhere, it gets really hard to like, figure out. And I was like trying to tell, and I just had to keep, and they wouldn't tell me when they were transferring. Anyway, it's not about my struggle. It was cold. <laughs> it was really hard for me to be on the But the mom was out there, because they also like, their suitcase or something, or they, I don't know, they had stuff in the back of the truck. And the mom was out in this field, like gathering her like belongings mm-hmm. from like the field. And my dad was like, what the heck are you doing? Right? <laughs> um, and, like, both, everyone was fine. Um, they all went to the hospital, but, like, everyone was, like, foreseeably fine. Like, they were all walking to the ambulance when we left. But, yeah, the mom was, like, gathering things because, like, she was just, like, in shock. And, like, the coping mechanism was just, like, make sure we keep our stuff. Yeah. So I think that happens. Sometimes people are just, like, they don't know what to do. And so, like, I've lost a lot of stuff, like, already. Uh-huh. So I need to keep my chair. 
I guess I see that. I just feel like it's been like so long since I extend a point that that point are you even in shock? Are you I, like I feel having never been in this situation and hopefully never been in this situation. <laughs> um so like what is my opinion worth? Literally less than nothing. But um, at that point I just feel like abandon everything. Just like like we need to get on a ship no matter what. And like I don't care about anything else we have, like we have to get behind. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It also she's, seems just like logistically impossible. Like I'm surprised that they even that the people at, at, in charge of the evacuation are even considering taking like stuff and not to go along. You know? Or you get like one carry on item. <laughs> it's a spirit airline, <laughs> and you charge you for it. Right. You can bring the clothes on your back. <laughs> yeah, you have one of those vests for a Ryanair flight where you just have pockets and you can hold like thirty pounds. <laughs> That's fine. That'd be, be your best that. That'd be your best that. I mean, I don't know. She's one of the least empathetic characters in the book. She yeah, is like sure. just loud and says weird stuff all the time. She just okay. says like like horrible stuff. She's like, Yeah, that person's not gonna make it. Sorry. She also like will end everything with sorry, like that makes it okay. Like, no offense, but no <laughs> offense, but that person she loves her dad. Just like stuff like that. She we like don't care about her. So she's not on the boat with them, but the shoemaker and the boy are on the boat. Mm-hmm. And then Amelia, Joanna. And Florian. Mm-hmm. So the boat starts going down. Everyone's fleeing. They're trying to get on lifeboats. They're not enough. They're not enough. Um, Florian and Joanna wind up making it on a lifeboat, but Florian's backpack, which with the jewel of the map, all the cool stuff in it, he leaves with Amelia. And Amelia, but they like, he's like, hold my backpack, and she's like, hold my baby, and then they get in the lifeboat. So Joanna. Florian and the baby are going to like put together. Mm-hmm. And then Alfred and Amelia wind up on a life boat together. Right. Um, the shoemaker throws the boy into the life boat with Florian and Joanna. Mm-hmm. So Florian and Joanna have the kids. Yep. So take a bet now which people on the life boat you think are going to survive. So Is it the most sympathetic characters who also we didn't mention in romantic entanglement? Oh, yeah. That's the beginnings of a romantic relationship. Plus mm-hmm. the kids. Anyway, so the shoemaker never makes off a boat. Alfred and Joan or Amelia on their like boat by themselves make it for a little bit, but they get hypothermia and die. Well, she's also given birth like two hours earlier, so I'm sure she's again. like not in the best shape. Right. Um, Alfred, I think what happens is he tries to like. I felt like it was like a possession or something that's like at the sea, and he decides to go in after it. Yeah, it's the Baltic Sea. You go in there, like, you've got like 10 minutes that you're alive. Tops. <laughs> like, there's chunks of ice. Like, you have 10 minutes of your life, but there's only like 2 minutes you're conscious for. <laughs> right, and then I think Amelia just winds up getting hypothermia and like, yeah, dies gently in her sleep. <laughs> the last like narrating we get is that she sees like a light of a boat coming to rescue her. Presumably. Um, but then that she doesn't make it. She doesn't make it. Um, Alfred, for whatever reason, like tries to do something stupid that you would not like. Tries to like I get think some he, possession. Probably the backpack, maybe the Florence backpack that Amelia has. Maybe. I feel like it's something even dumber than that. Probably. I feel like he like loses his hat. He jumps down. It's pretty dumb. <laughs> I can't um, think of that. Anyway, Joanna and Florian are rescued with the baby and the boy. And they wind wind up moving to America and living happily ever after. <laughs> wow, <Well>, mostly. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. yeah, they end up getting rescued. 
Hold on. Paige really wants to know when he comes in after. Um, oh, no, okay, so Alfred and Amelia are in the same lifeboat. Right. However, somehow Alfred finds out that Amelia is Polish. Um, um, well, no, okay, again, Alfred's deranged, and Florian's gotten help from Alfred by promising him a medal, and mm. Alfred's crazy person, so he believes it. And so then <laughs> Alfred is like, Amelia, did you take my medal? Did you take it? Did you take it? Because she, Amelia has Florian's pack, and so he wants to, like, he thinks for what, he thinks his medal's Florian's backpack. They've been out, they're not going crazy from, like, the elements of this plant. No, Alfred. They've been outside for, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> Alfred's pretty crazy, like, <laughs> The whole way through. Um, and so he is, like, trying to, like, get at Florian's backpack, and Amelia's holding on to it. Um, and then he finds out, also, Amelia starts speaking Polish, because at that point, point, is that what you're thinking of? Oh, shit, I have to pass with Latvian, <laughs> you know? I've already died, like, so many different ways, <laughs> like, the last week. Um, and so then he freaks out, because he's like, oh my god, let's go Polish, too. Um, and he isn't really all about the right. And he tries to shove her into the water. He tries to shove Amelia in. And then he just falls in, because he's a crazy person. Obviously, there's no coordination. Because she's this, like, 13-year-old who, just, like, just gave birth, so I'm sure she's in great shape. I don't know why he <laughs> puts her in the water. But he doesn't. Yeah, she, yeah, she, like, he, like, I don't know, goes over somehow. Because he's an idiot. And she, like, almost tries to, like, help him. Well, she doesn't almost try. She, like, tries to, like, she, like, reaches for him, and he slips off. No one's do you feel Do you feel bad about it? Not really. We also didn't mention Alfred has a creepy chant where he lists, you remember the chant? <gasps> oh, my He gosh. lists all the people that are unacceptable, which is, eh, we've a lot of people. Trade unionists. And has, like, a very good ending. <laughs> the ending is, you go slob. <laughs> you go slob. That's how I imagined <laughs> You post love because I imagine him seeing it. Oh yeah, he goes around him and like all the people here, like other Nazis hear him and they're just like, the Nazis are wrong like, with you. Because like the Nazis crazy support Germany, Nazis. but like how many of them really are just like singing all the time? Like they like have listened, like heard, like they exposed to a ton of propaganda. But I feel like for the most part, most of them are not haven't like entrenched it in their souls as much as all. <laughs> Alfred. Has drank all the Kool Aid. <laughs> um, yeah, like all of it. There might not be anybody, any left for anybody else. Anyway, here's this chant. <laughs> he described, he, oh, here, I'll just leave, I'll read the part. This is not funny at all. I know we're laughing. We don't think it's funny, really. But at the chant point, is a little, I mean. But Alfred's a little bit funny just because you like, because he's so crazy. He's crazy, yeah. And, like, the, the content of the champ is not funny? No. This is the only, only comic relief we get. Okay, guys. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Cut us a break. <laughs> the rest of this was horrible. Okay. Um, anyway. So, here, I'll give you the lead in and the chat. I had a secret device. To keep track of the rights, racial, social, and political enemies, I put the Fuhrer's list to Melody. It was easier to remember when I sang it. Because Albert's the kind of person who's like, yeah, I'm going to commit this list to memory. <laughs> Not just kind of like be like, yeah, okay, whatever, like blonde people good, like you know. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna remember all of it. Similar to a child reciting last night's song, it was a rather catchy tune. Of course it is. <laughs> that's the part that's funny. This is like the like jovial, jovial nature of Alfred because he's like a jovial guy, but he just mm-hmm. wants to murder people. <laughs> like he just is like all about telling people that are not racially. It's really dark. 
uh, it's like the Joker and Batman in a way, where it's like the Joker is a lot people all the time with no like native intelligence. So. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, the chant. Swallow. Okay. Communist, Czechoslovakian, Greeks, Gypsies, handicapped, homosexual. Insert breath here. Jews, mentally ill, Negroes, Poles, prostitutes, Russians, Serbs, socialists, insert breath here. I don't need to chant again. Spanish Republicans, trade unionists, Ukrainians, and insert breath here. Big ending here. You go slums. <laughs> you go slums. <laughs> Michelle, I have different ways to end our chant, but it ends with you go slums as three distinct syllables. Say if I can. And count like on. <laughs> you go slums. So, I'm <laughs> hard. It's so funny because. It's it was not funny when I was reading it, to be honest. I was just like, God, what a crazy person. It's kind of funny when I'm talking about it now, because we're just thinking about this, yeah. this crazy guy who literally has no intelligence. Alfred is so weird. I like, did not understand. I like, understood that he I guess, like, mentally not without him, like, the book wouldn't have made sense, but I feel like there was, like, a a way to replace him with, a, like, a less crazy... Well, like, even if we just had, like... Those three narrating, and then we had a, like a, a, a third person omniscient type person that like talked mm-hmm. about what was happening on the boat. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. sure with I'm sure. sure. Ruta. Yeah. How reason? I yeah, I'm sure she did. I don't. I think omniscient yeah, would have been weird if we had three different narrators and then omniscient. Okay, like, books like that. What? I can't think of anything but ass. Oh, something by Jodie Picoult, probably. Uh, yeah, I'm not accepting that as a. As admissible evidence and Katie's court. Katie accepts very little of evidence. Katie yeah, just like a person I would never want to be a judge. <laughs> She's like too much of like. Too She's good at it. No. <laughs> it makes it unfair for the other people. <laughs> like she sticks to her opinion too much. Like despite evidence. <laughs> I feel like she'd be like, no. I don't know. It's still like. Reasonable doubt. Paige has no reasonable doubt. Paige is either sure or not sure. <laughs> There's very little reasonable doubt. I I just believe it. If you want to say something, she can prove it. Anyway. Anyway. What was I going to say? She'd be a good this? judge in like Italy. Innocent until, or guilty until proven innocent. Um. Okay, but what I was going to say about that was that I think maybe Alfred's perspective, like, because we have three sympathetic perspectives, yeah. three people who are like, Innocent victims. Right. I think it maybe was important for her that to say the story like where like horrible stuff is happening and mm-hmm. it is being committed by someone. And part of the idea here is that like atrocities are being committed on both sides. That right. it's like people are suffering no matter what side you're on. Like you're on the Nazis side. Like every like so many this people are dying. Book. Soldiers are dying too. Right. Even if they were involved, like and there's also sometimes there's. I mean, there's people, there's really clear-cut cases, I guess, because the executioners had a concentration camp. Like, that really seems like something that you're not able to, like, get out of. Right. I mean, I know people are going to think, well, they made you do it. And like, at what point, philosophically tangent here, at what point is it, like, not okay to be like, well, I was forced to do it? When right. you're putting people in an oven, is it, is that still a defense that I was forced to do it? Right. I, I feel like it's not. Yeah. I've never been in a position, but... We talked about uh, the before we started recording about how there's like a just like I feel like a huge chunk of the historical fiction genre that centers around World War Two. Yeah, and it's because like historically when we like talk about it, 
I mean, not always, but like generally you have a pretty clear like the good guys versus the bad guys in a way that you don't really have in a lot of other conflicts. I mean, even with World War One, right? World, with, like World War Two, seems like a clear cut story. World War One, like right. there is no like there's good not as much guy there. Clear cutness. So I think World War Two becomes such a good fodder for this because of that Stalin quote of like a thousand people is a statistic and one person is a person. I said backwards, but you understand what I want. Um, because we see it in like this, we see it in this global perspective, and from a global perspective, yeah, they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. But how many people of them were like actually like bad guys, like Alfred? Like, there's no way we could say that Alfred was like a good guy in a bad situation. Right. Like, no, he's and maybe a bad guy. Was, like Alfred's a lunatic. Right. Okay. But then you also have these three characters in, like. Florian and Joanna, for sure, would be considered, like, on the German side. Um, not because they're, like, they're, like, supporting the right, um, but because, because... they would be considered acceptable right. people to the... And Amelia winds up falling in with that side, even though she shouldn't necessarily, and we see them as very, like, sympathetic characters and kind of just, like, victims. Yeah. Just, like, a They haven't been themselves exactly from treasonist capacities. Right. Um... Before he got mixed up with this art thing, but then he leaves. Right, and he killed He killed a Russian soldier with, like, in defense of Amelia. Right. Joanna also has this, and I can't share with anyone, but she has a big secret she killed someone. She considers herself a murderer, but she can go on. Oh, she killed her sister. She killed, she killed her sister. Um, but I don't remember why that was. She, like, didn't actually, like, put a pillow over her sister's face. But I can't remember why she thought she was a murderer. But talking to her sister. I don't remember either. I think it was just like, like she left her somewhere, and she wanted to find it. Yeah, There's no way you're gonna find it. Yeah, I'm like, you my book, I don't know. You're not gonna find it. Um, but yeah, so there's this, and I think that's important. And um, and I guess maybe that was the role of Alfred was yeah. to, to show that there's also bad guys, like not everyone, which yeah, is like a victim of the larger society. Like some people that were involved. Um, or bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to sound like Nazi sympathizers here exactly, or at all. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> no. Because um, we're not like, but we have ordinary people getting caught in a crossfire. Yeah. Um, no matter, like, I mean, that's I mean, that's just a common theme. That's sort of the one conflict in general. Who really yeah. suffers the most? It's just you know all these it's ordinary people who can't even get out of the way. Basically, right. So that's um, can't avoid being in. Right. That's fair. At the same time, like, obviously there's, again, you right. know, someone is doing the horrible things for happening. It's not just like the hand of fate sleeping in the law. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I guess Alfred does serve that purpose. I mean, kind of show that yeah. it's not just like, oh, well, this machine, like, it, there are bad people on every level. Right. Um, Although, is. is it like a little bit undercut by the fact that we also dismiss Alfred as a crazy person? Perhaps. Yeah, I think it might be, but yeah, I think it will, because he's so young too. I feel like it's hard to, and I don't know how old he, I don't remember exactly how old he was, he's late teen, but he, because he's so crazy, his delusion was very childish. Like yeah. His delusional relationship with Hanover, his like delusion about getting this medal, his like relationship with the Reich and this like dreams of getting honor. Seems very childish. And so, yeah, I feel like you don't necessarily condemn him as just being, like, evil. 
It's just being like legitimately just like right. crazy and like. But you think he's a horrible person. But I also think if like we had a, like a perfect psych battery to get him to know, okay, how much is he like? If we had a test, we could figure out how much is he personally responsible right. for because he was acting of his own volition, like in his sane mind. I think we might let him off the hook in that sense that he was just so crazy. So I think it is undercut by the fact that he's a lunatic. Um, I don't know. It's very, like, he's, like, a compelling character because he is the sight. It's just, like, unreal. Um, And I don't think it's she's just trying to show how, like, thoroughly brainwashed certain people were. No. Because he's clearly crazy before this happens. Like, the thing with Hannibal, not that he turns her in. I mean, that was was crazy, too. But the fact that he, he... believes in this relationship that clearly she has never ever encouraged no she's never encouraged and for sure now with it yeah i mean (laughs) um yeah and i think you see i mean we don't see inside the minds of the soldiers around him but you kind of see the way that he gets treated and he doesn't get treated as in like oh you're just too in love with the ride (laughs) right like he's treated as a crazy person yeah um he's the piranha outside of the What did you say? Uh, I don't know. Not the right word. I heard piranha. Which pariah. Is pariah. 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 I heard pariah. I said something that was like halfway between pariah and piranha. I added an end to pariah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, I meant pariah. Okay. Alright. Within the soldier population. I don't know. But I also don't know if I would want it, like, having a perspective that was well, truly evil would that have been palatable. Like, as a reader, to be inside that mind and watching them suffer, would you have been able to? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't enjoyable. No friend this book was enjoyable. It <laughs> probably would have been really, like, powerful for this family. But I, then I also think, okay, it's a YA novel. Like, right. what's, what are we willing to, like, show? I don't know. I don't know what, yeah. We don't really know what Alfred's perspective is or, like, why it's here. I mean, we're not the author, so we're just, right. just speculating about why it's here. Right. Um, I'm still trying to figure out yeah. Dawn and her sister. But yeah. Um, But yeah, then yeah, it ends. The people who are sort of sympathetic make it, which is like good from one perspective. Like it's like you don't feel totally, I don't know, wrecked at the end of the book because these two people that you were most tied to made it. Amelia, they didn't know her baby did, so you're like, okay. Um, but they, the boy and the baby girl end up at the States, and like, there's like an epilogue, oh, yeah, yeah. Epilogue. Florian and, um, Joanna raise the boy and the baby mm-hmm. as their own children in the United States. Yeah. And then there's, yeah, there's a weird epilogue in which, like, the... We find that out in the epilogue. Right, and there's like a note from somewhere. It seems like, I don't know, these people on the coast of something in the Europe, I don't know if it's Germany, I don't know, I don't know where they washed up at, that they found Amelia's body, I think, and they're like, well, mm-hmm. it was a little bit complicated, but it kind of like they like, saw a newspaper article that what used to, used to be, uh, or like who Amelia's daughter, the baby, who mm-hmm. grew up to be, like she wanted to swim in the Olympics, but it's really, her nationality is really unfair. She was born on this German ship in the middle of the Baltic Sea, like, mm-hmm. like to but to a Polish woman like we have no idea what her and she wants to swim for America I think mm-hmm. it's just like really unclear what her nationality is and these people that were founding in his body washed up on the shore several years ago like sort of piece it together somehow 
It's kind of weird. It was a little confusing. Yeah. I think that's to drive home. I, throughout the book, we, I think we touched a little bit about how all these people have, like, dish, different nationalities, and these nationalities are kind of one of the reasons fueling um, World War II, especially from the perspective of Alfred, who is kind of our perspective on the kind of German side. Mm-hmm. And the nationalities wind up not mattering. Like these people are not concerned about who is German and who is Latvian and who is Lithuanian and who is Polish. Mm-hmm. They kind of just they become like one people because they're put in this terrible situation, um, and it matters less about what their nationality is. Um, so I think maybe this idea of like a nationality is Amelia's daughter is kind of brings back mm-hmm. that idea of like what even is nationality. Because mm-hmm. um, Amelia really wanted her daughter to consider herself Polish. Right. She was like, that was, because she was like not super pumped about having a baby, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and during she like, to like engage with it after it's born. Right. Yeah. 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 And so uh, eventually how Florian and Joanna get her to like nurse is by telling her like this baby is going to be like the future of Poland. Like you're bringing this baby back to Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then, yeah, I, mean, I think it just talks about the complexities of nationality and how people connect with their own nationalities and how we use nationalities to categorize others and not be talking about. Did I wrap up? <laughs> <laughs> we found a thing about my sister. I'm just no, I'm talking, just, trying I'm to do that. Sorry, I'm just trying to, like, I know I can't find it in the book probably. I mean, maybe I would have. So I started Googling it, and no one gave me. I don't remember why she thinks she told her sister. Mm-hmm. I like, don't remember anything about the events of it, so whoops. Anyway, that's okay. what we thought of this book. It's complicated, complicated connections to it. Well, we want to talk about people that said they did. Yeah. This is something <laughs> that, like, this is what really. Okay, we talked about the thought that being emotionally damaged. Doesn't like to read things that are sad. Doesn't like to read things that are sad. Yeah, um, totally true. Like I'm, especially, and I think it's really especially with like, it's not that I refuse to read anything that makes me sad. That's not actually true. But in the context of books I'm picking up for fun and young adult novels, exclusively fun for that kind of way. I can't think of any. And I think that maybe this is a young adult novel that sort of walks the line of like, um, a young adult novel that wants to be taken as a novel. Because, I mean, really, like, what young adult novel is taken as a novel of nothing? Um, was featured in the New York Times. Let me see if I can find a page you can <laughs> Okay, we're going to keep Googling stuff so we can't find. Um, um, no, I want to talk about what. Yeah. Because Rita talks about why she wrote this novel for young adults. Okay, yeah. So, good. I'll find that. going to find that. I'm going to talk in the meantime about other stuff. And then be completely over time when we get rid of the Yeah, but I read young adult novels pretty much, ex- like, Exclusively, in terms of just my enjoyment, escapism, I there are young adult novels that are definitely better than others. Like I think young adult as a genre deserves good writing. I mean, we have a podcast where we talk about like tear down books that we don't like, understandably. So maybe it doesn't look like that, but it, I mean, it's all in service of the fact that we think that they should be well written, and sometimes they're not. Um, at the same time, I don't think I'm going to find the next great American novel in the YA section. Um, sorry if that makes me elitist. I think it just makes me a true scholar. <laughs> she has all her phones. She's not chiming. <laughs> I'm just making like more. I'm not comments on it. More and more like, <laughs> like 
Okay, I'll just say it. It's coming on now. Listen, um, you can keep on with your phone, because I mean, I got my say. <laughs> um, I'm going to comment on it now while I search. Okay. Um, so, I think as the YA genre grows, because it has grown exponentially in the yeah. past, like, 20 years. It's years. It's years, basically. Um, that the genre has become home to more than just reading for for fun books. There are books that before wouldn't have been categorized as young adult that would have just been categorized as books that are now being classified as young adult. Right. And so, what's an example? Um, there's like Tuck Everlasting, which I feel like is a children's book. I read that. That's a children's book. Yeah, I read it in grade. Um, and it's good. I read an article about it and they were saying we should stop categorizing them as young adult books, but I can't remember. Tuck Everlasting. Oh. No, it's some book in the Yeah, yeah. we should have the thing to Google. <laughs> um, um, still kind of trying to write that article about why we wrote this. But I think as the, because the genre is growing exponentially and, like, also is appealing to a wider audience than YA, which is a weird yeah. phenomenon. Like, yeah. over, like, the majority of people purchasing oh, weird phenomenon that we have participated in. Right, but the majority of people purchasing YA books are not, are, like, over 25. But they buying it for young adults, though? No. Do they have any way to track that whatsoever? No, but like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not no, but like, this is a good point. <laughs> but I think that as a genre grows, that like, I mean, okay, to, I see that, that there's an expansion right. of what's being offered. And so perhaps it doesn't all have to just be like books for fun. But yeah. like, if this is, I think what is also happening is teens are less and less likely to leave the adult section. Um, which is kind of scary. Which is perhaps not a good thing. But if they're unwilling to leave the young adult section, then we need to provide something besides gossip girl for them. Um, okay. Yeah, well, that's always an okay, unrelated point. Not unrelated to this immediate discussion, not unrelated entirely. That was always my thing. People were like, it doesn't matter what teams are reading, as long as they're reading when they make that argument in terms of, like, I don't know, gossip girl or something equally. Um, Profane and horrible. Lean into my opinions at this point. Um, they're like, at least they're reading. Which is kind of, I always was like, that's just like saying, well, at least they're exercising if they're running from the cops. Like, these <laughs> things aren't equivalent. Don't say at least they're reading. If all, if they're exclusively reading Gossip Girl, like, and people are like, oh, it's fine. They'll, like, they'll get hooked into just books in general. Like, what, like, what do you see the lead in from just like straight up Gossip Girl or just like straight up Twilight, like nothing else? It's like that, what do you, like, where do you see that bridge being built? If that's, because there are, it is true, sometimes it is, like, I mean, I have a fair, I have, like, in one way I have someone very narrow taste, but another way I have pretty diverse taste, I would read a wide range of things. And also a specified range of things. Mm-hmm. Complicated. But, um, so, like, I will read, like, <laughs> like, trash um, or things like way closer to the genre fiction, like like horrible novel spectrum, but also read a lot of other things. Um, but for the people that are really like seriously only stuck in that last, like if you want to talk about it as a range, like that final edge, right. of, like falling off right, <laughs> into girl. just like total garbage. The books that are written for like TTYL are like written text messages. <laughs> I yeah, I just I don't understand if that's really all they're reading, like. Where exactly do you see yeah. moving out of that, and how? I think it's really hard, and I know, like, even for me, um, in college, I didn't read very much outside of class just because I was freaking busy, okay? Um, and so then, when I would read things, I would read things that were just, like, 
super light. Yeah. Because I didn't have time, like, to, or brain energy yeah, to brain process anything else. Mm-hmm. But then to go, now that I'm out of college, um, to allow myself to read things that are light like that, and then also to read things that are harder, it's a hard transition to make. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me sometimes to engage in a book that doesn't catch my attention, doesn't offer me, like, something interesting within the first, you know, 20 pages. Um, I want something fast. I want want to be held captive, like, very quickly. It's hard for me to watch a story unfold slowly, which I think is where you get those beautiful writing, those pieces of, like, real literature. Or not all stories that unfold slowly are, like, beautiful pieces of literature. That's not true. But, and not all literature doesn't necessarily unfold slowly. But I think leaving room for, like, poetic writing styles and things like that, um, there's no room for it if you need, like, that yeah, big rush. I think that's true. It's, like, you just want cotton candy. Right. You know? It's, it's really tasty. It melts super quick. And you can just, it's lighter than air, and you can consume, like, a yeah. ton of it. It's like cotton candy. It also makes salad. you pretty, pretty sick. Yeah. Nobody wants, like, rye bread. Like, you have to chew it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I think that is hard. And perhaps by adding things with a little bit more depth to the YA section, teens won't be exclusively eating cotton candy. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's one of the aims is to, like, throw in these, like, a hot dog in there. Like, <laughs> something with some nutritional value. Uh, <laughs> only carnival food. <laughs> only carnival food. Um, I don't know. I think it's a tricky thing, and I think people are still trying to figure out, like, what the YA genre is. Because mm-hmm. it really only has evolved since, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, as a, like, as a force, as it has. And I mean, yeah. like, really... Probably later than that, where there, like, really is this force in the publishing industry where we're spending a ton of money on it, all these movies are being made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, like, out of control. Right. <laughs> like, it's not even, like, possible to even begin to keep up. I mean, that's true of books, but to keep up with books being published. Right. Even in a vague general sense. Um, so, yeah, like, I definitely get that the range is broadening. That salt to the sea and twilight are not equivalent for right. or trying to be. Yeah, um, I do wonder just like outside of the YA genre, outside of people like within the YA genre pushing for YA to be recognized. I do wonder like if there's ever gonna be a point at which like the literary world is gonna recognize anything that would be classified as adult as just literature without any qualifiers. Yeah. I think that's gonna be a, a yeah. big jump to me. Well, yeah, and it's interesting how they decide, like, what goes in YA and what doesn't. So the book I'm going to recommend, we're going to jump again a little bit here because I don't talk about it, um, is All the Light We Cannot See, which takes place in the same time here, a different location, it takes place in France. But um, it's also told from alternating perspectives by two teens, and centers around the lives of two teens. And this book is not marketed out as a YA book, it's marketed mm-hmm. as an adult book. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see which books we throw in the YA bucket and which books we put in the adult world. Because adults can read books about teens. You see very few YA books about adults. So. I don't that's know. Very interesting. One. Yeah, I think that's like the premise of YA. It has to. It has to be about teens. Yeah. It has to be teens. But not all teen books are YA books. And I don't know. Not all books about teens. Yeah, not all books about teens are YA. Yeah. So, I don't know. I 
know where who I'm sure publishers get to make that distinction, but I think yeah. also also authors do. I think authors I mean, are not gonna reach out to YA Right, the publishers. We sit like there are agents to do YA agents who do this. Like, right. You have to pick the agent that your book goes with and then you have to pick a publisher that's gonna you yeah. know do the whole branding plan behind it. But to go back to like I mean, yeah, I do YA like exclusively for enjoyment. Right. Exclusively. Maybe like if something else comes out of it, fine. But like that's not why I think that. Well, we're also um, now adult people. Yeah. When I was a teen, I almost exclusively read YA. Enjoyment, or like I mean, for enjoyment, but I read that's all I read. I never read adult books. Yeah. So (laughs) I I mean to my own detriment, I'm sure. So much of my reading is like escapism, (laughs) like. And, like, yeah. there's definitely lots of benefit from literature, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and, like, the older I've gotten, the more, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean you obviously start with children's books and young adult books. Right. You're not there to, like, learn the human condition, you know? Like, I'm sure there's stuff to be gained. Right. From right. The Wizard of Oz, or there's great examples of children's books. Right. There's people. children's literature. Right. Um... But it's different, so like, the contrast I would draw with my readings and adult books and other books is that I also will like, more or less force myself, <laughs> um, but I like, will balance my reading with, like, literature, um, so, um, like, I was not excited to read this book because I knew it was going to be horrible, and I didn't, like, again, in adult, I only want to read for enjoyment. Yeah. Um, whereas when I pick up Sula by Tony Morrison, like I know this is gonna be a rough ride. Right, it's gonna be fun. Um, and so it's you know I just like buckle down and read it, and it's you know I get a lot out of it that is not what I get out of the adult novels. Right. And what I don't get out of it, generally speaking, is like a low level pleasure. Right. Um, there might be higher level of enjoyment from just like language. Like sophisticated to language or something right. like that. Or the ability to like connect. Or even like a deeper kind of understanding of like the human condition and the ability to connect to the like right. the motifs of that. But yeah, it's not as fun and process. Mm-hmm. It's not like eating cotton candy. Right. In the long term, yeah, I'm gonna feel better if I eat salads, but I'd rather eat cotton candy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like even when I mean even and there's I can Pick out you know works of literature that I love. Um, okay. Like I think the French Lieutenant Woman is like brilliant. I'm not a literary scholar, so maybe someone who actually is is just like whatever. I don't think that girls know anything. Maybe. Um, well, there's some healthy food that I like. Yeah, and like I think that book is like so brilliant and so great. I really enjoyed it. Um, at the same time, if it was just like for fun, it was a choice between that and like. That's just like straight up, like straight up unhealthy. Straight up good time. I still didn't try it. That was like I felt like that was like sad <laughs> though. Yeah. But it was so fun. Like it, it was like, really fun. It was a great fight. You didn't like it. I had to like a hard time later. Like we we're just kicking our run off or we're gonna be nice too. Yeah. Well Brittany's our friend. She likes every time we tweet about her, she likes our tweets. And so like that's just good news, but yeah. <laughs> um, also, I'm really sad. I didn't know she was gonna be a full comment. I mean, 
<laughs> Not that we would have gone even if we Fort Collins was pretty far away. Fort Collins is like probably two and a half hours. Three-ish. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We live on the yeah. south end of Denver. We've already told you we live in Douglas County. You know where that is. Um, sure, you know that. Yeah. Oh, I found the article. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like my whole point about that was just that people have been talking about how much they like love this book. Yeah. Like really enjoy it. And that's the part that really confused me. Because like this book is like so horrible. You know, yeah, it's not there is this gesture of a romantic relationship, which actually I'm not sure totally how we're supposed to feel about it. Because at first I was like, oh man, if you're really going to set these characters up amidst the backdrop of just like everyone dying, like that's like. Um, a little bit exploitative-ish. It's, you yeah. know, yeah. It's not what I remembered about the book. It's, I feel like it's done... But it was, yeah. Fairly lightly. Uh-huh. But yeah, but I... It was understandable the way it was covered. Um, and it was, like, done with a very, like, touch. Yeah, it wasn't just, like, oh, these people fell in love and then, like, you know, screw everybody else. Like, <laughs> it's fine because they found their soulmates, you know, everybody else can just die um, of exposure and the world could see in the middle of the night, you know. That's, so it was okay. Um, but I just wonder when people are like, oh, I really love this book. I'm just like, what do you mean by that? Because this book wasn't enjoyable from a, like, reading for pleasure standpoint. Yeah. Right? And I don't think it should be. And because so much of Young Adult is that, it, like, a little bit orientated, or maybe not orientated, but I'm just, like, bewildered by the amount of people who are like, oh my gosh, I really loved it. Because we were talking earlier, the example we would use is the Buddha sign, like Harry mm-hmm. said, which if someone asks us about it, I think we, we might both use, maybe we use the phrase that I loved it. We also, like, I, well, at least how I would talk about it, like, it's, like, really amazing. Like, a really yeah, good book. It's, like, really good. And, like, very important. Um, and maybe after that, I would say, yeah, like, I really liked it in that sense. I wouldn't say that, like, oh my gosh, I love the Buddha sign. Like, it was so good. Right. Like, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a very hard book like it's very beautiful yeah. you wouldn't say like yeah i derived a lot of just like sort of enjoyment at a low level for it out of it yeah so i'm just like confused the people who were like really like this book right maybe what they mean is that it was really well written and really important and really mm-hmm. like that maybe yeah they found it really good maybe really touching yeah i just i'm yeah i'm just a little confused they let me know yeah yeah so anyway <laughs> i'm going to talk about the article i mentioned like but so she was featured. There's a story about three new um, authors in the New York Times who are writing historical fiction for children or young adults, and they're all writing World War II fiction. There's a big resurgence. Surprise! A big resurgence of this, I guess, right now in the publishing industry. Um, and the article talks about the like introduction before they talk to all of the authors. The introduction of the article talks about World War II makes good for good books because it has. Like a very clear cut of good guys and bad guys, which I think the opposite of what we found in this book for someone. Uh huh. Um, so that was interesting. But she talks about how she likes the, to write for kids is because young people have a tremendous sense of justice. So I guess mm-hmm. meaning that like they're not as much. And I mean, we see this within politics all over the place. People are, are very idealistic and they have a sense of justice and they've yet to be kind of jaded by the actuality of the world. Right. Um, so yeah, that's why she wrote to me her books. It was not a very long article so that was not what she had to say. Um, yeah. And she also talks about why she left all the world apart then. Um, it was because she, like, 
to the young people will ask me if I don't believe them. They want to know, like, do these people die? Did they make it? Like, yeah. they want to know about the bad parts. They don't want, like, a whitewashed version of history. Right. I mean, that's true, yeah. But teenagers, like, you know, authenticity is really important to them. Um, anyway, for sure. I think that's like most of our thoughts. Is that all your thoughts? Well, now I'm looking up at, I'm looking good. No. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we're moving what's going on. Now I'm, I'm looking at the Goodreads reviews because I'm like, what's going on? Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go look and finding things to support the things that before had been on. Okay, I'm just support this already. Okay, I just want to point out that this one person's review gave it four stars and said, "Opening sentence is such a thrilling read with an exclamation point." And so I'm like, <laughs> the main characters are all so interesting. Okay, what well, else? I mean, they were interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting, and I loved how much mystery and tension there was in each of those stories. I also love the rich world building. Is world building even what you apply to like, historical fiction? Like, the world is there, you're just supposed to convey it. Right. I feel like world building is like very specifically fantasy sci fi. Right, you and know? you're building a world other than you're, ours. Yeah, you're building a world. Um, ours is already built. You're just describing <laughs> I'm not usually big on history, but I love the way the history was presented here. Between the setting and the writing, everything was so in cast, vivid, with just amped the intensity. I definitely recommend it, especially if you like emotionally gripping reads with lots of tension and fascinating characters. Yeah. And to me, that just kind of feels like a little bit... It feels a little icky. Yeah. It feels a little icky. Um, Peter and I also talked before we started recording about things That's like that. That's what we did. <laughs> um, about people that are like, this is emotionally like... Thrilling, yeah. um, and kind of in that way, almost compared to works like Nicholas Spark, yeah, Nicholas Sparks, and literally McDaniel, those books that are like those romantic tragedies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's such a difference in these books because even though the characters themselves were not real people, that like nine thousand real human yeah. beings died. <laughs> this is not like a tragic tale in which you're supposed to read the story kind of like dismiss it because it's not real and then move on with your life. Mm-hmm. I think with historical fiction you're supposed to use these characters that aren't fiction. Yeah. And kind of and when use you, them in place of these real human stories and use them to kind of supplement the problem of not being able to comprehend the death of thousands. Right. Yeah, and when you read it you are like, you know, like, oh my god, what would it be like to have to just like leave everything and walk across the country in the snow and then like be on a ship that's sinking in the Baltic Sea, like, it is really horrible, and you get a different perspective when you actually approach to think about it in detail. Right. Um, it yeah. allows you to have empathy with these people. Um, yeah. So I find that a little bit troubling when they just, like, they talk about it as thrilling and kind of like you would a work that's, like, very purely mm-hmm. fiction. I think historical fiction is supposed to create a larger sense of trueness um, to what it was like to be a human in this particular situation. Yeah. Um, like this yeah. page says, in both of Ruta's books, somehow my tears get saved from when I close the books and everything I just read collapses down on me and it gets me choked up. And so, so like again, like the emotional stuff. And then she goes into um, blah, blah, um, the book was equal parts heartwarming and tragic. Did you think it was equal parts heartwarming and tragic? No, I thought it was, it was very little heartwarming. I don't even know what would My be My heart was very cold. The <laughs> fact that like somebody survived at the end, I guess. But that's not even heartwarming perspective. Not the fact that somebody terrible. survived. 
I mean, like, that's better than the alternative. Nobody did, I guess, but you're not just like, oh, heartwarming. Like, it's, that doesn't make it okay. Right. People die. Yeah. And it, like, and I, like, get it. Like, fine, you cry, that's fine. Like, that's not bad against the rules. But it kind of, when people treat works like this, I know these are totally purely fiction, but it makes me kind of concerned with things like Humans of New York. He did a piece where he went over to Tur Jordan mm-hmm. and like interviewed Syrian refugees and the amount of like shares and people being like, This is heartwarming and treating those human stories in a very similar way that you treat these kind of stories where they become treated just like stories. And I, I know this is historical fiction, these are not real people, but like if we derive like kind of this emotional catharsis from this book and from these stories in any sort of similar way to we, we do to like real people, which I think in some sense you should have a sense of empathy with these people in this because they're standing in for real people. Mm-hmm. It makes me a little bit concerned about how people are able to empathize and experience catharsis without recognizing the humanness and of real people. Yeah, I think and it's, that might be a stretch, but I think it's just a cheap and emotional reaction. Right, it's not a reaction of any depth, and I'm not saying that I necessarily. I mean, I I also said that I didn't want to read this book before I even opened it. Right. Um, so perhaps I was not in the right frame of mind to totally experience everything. Um, for sure. Also, we're trying to read it, you know, for the podcast in a week or whatever. So. Although we never, like, we were are recording this. Whoops. This is the closest to real time we've ever been. <laughs> oh, God. It's going to get real rough. Brexit <laughs> just happened, like, two days ago. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. real life people. Yeah. Um, right. And so I just, to me, the comparison I always make is, and this is, like, there's a lot about my thesis on, so, like, let me talk, let me talk more. <laughs> um, the, like, emotional reaction of, and this was, like, my argument against, like, the, like, genre fiction pop music, whatever, as opposed to just, like, like, classical music, not that these are the only possible examples, classical music or literature or things that would really hold up as, like, you can't of art, is that you get this, like, cheapened and, like, debased emotional reaction, where it's just, like, a Hallmark card reaction, essentially, and, like, the kind of people who are, like, aww, when they see a cute puppy, and then, and this is, I'm not making this up, this is, like, I've heard where people do this, and then saying the, the, like, the reaction also to, like, genocide is, oh, like, it's horrifying. Right. We can, we, we can have, like, Twitter reactions to things. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> you see it for a minute, it's, like, very, like, passing. If you've ever, like, been on Twitter, like, it said that your life, your, if you tweet something, it has a lifespan of about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Before, like, people are not going to see it in their newsfeed. Yeah. And I feel like that's almost how we deal with things. And, like, it becomes a coping mechanism. And, like, we talked about, you can't comprehend and cope with, like, the death of 9,000 people. Like, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes problematic when we don't even try anymore. Yeah. When we're just like, oh, that's sad. And they close the book and move on with their lives. Um, and just use it as emotional catharsis and then are done using it and we yeah. use it for use our, it as the key. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we begin to use it for ourselves instead of kind of using not using it but like experiencing it in a way to become empathetic with these people and to like understand the humanness of others. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's our thoughts on <laughs> yeah. Um so we're gonna rate in a trend. No, because we've talked for a long time. 
on the podcast, we were like, no, no, we're going to say. So funny. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, we do the breakfast. Okay. So on a scale of salt to sea, we did this. The Bonneville Salt Club. Don't question it. And then I recommend, I already mentioned this, but I want to recommend All the Light We Cannot See, whose author I didn't write down. But... <laughs> You know that book. It's very popular currently. Yeah, I'm sure you can find it. Walking about. Um, like I said, it's a similar-ish story about a... It's not similar at all, actually. <laughs> Except that it takes place in World War II. It's about two teens. It's told from their perspectives. Um, it's about this girl who's blind. Um, and this boy who is an orphan and then winds up being recruited into, like, the Nazi schools because he's fairly young when the war starts. So he wind up going to like school with the Nazis. And then towards the end of the book, because it takes place over the course of years, does wind up hiding out a little bit because they're running out of soldiers and they're like, You forged your papers, you're actually eighteen. Weird. Um yeah. Spoiler about the end. I'm not sure we're supposed to know about this book. That's not a major plot point, it happens. It's not that shocking when it happens, but yeah, it's really good. It's really beautifully written. Um, it's a little bit slower paced than this book, which is not bad because it's written in a beautiful way. It's a little longer, I think. Yeah, I think it's longer. The book is bigger itself. Because my books are small. Yeah. That's so weird. They're a different shape than this book. <laughs> it's just in the teen, it's small. <laughs> um, that's the book I'd recommend. It's really good. Yeah. Yep. Alright, okay. Okay. we have three yeah. more after that. We have a happy kind of. Yeah. I haven't read this. I mean, it's not, it's definitely, yes, it is a happier book. It's not about um, World War Two or the United States of Palestine. I'm wondering. Um, yeah. Look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, we can only go up from here eventually. <laughs> I mean, unless we. Unless we do some concentration. Yeah, we're going to some concentration. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. No, I don't need to read that again. I read it. Multiple times in middle school and mm-hmm. early high school. Um, but anyway, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at SmartGirlsYStacks on Instagram and SmartGirlsYA on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of fun. Yeah, all the time. You can also write to us at SmartGirlsYStacks at gmail.com. We love email. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to recommend any books for us, or if you just want to fight us, something like that, or be with us, it's fine. I <laughs> love it if you agree with us. We are always, <laughs> I'm all about disapproval and affirmation and just people agreeing with me. Um, people being convinced by me, I believe that's my goal in life. So. But if you also want us to read something, you should tell us and then we might read it. And you're like, we may or we know. They're just pretty picky, so. <laughs> so it's a shower. I'm not as picky as We will talk to you next week.